so we are gonna be jumping around a little bit today, but I wanna read to you a passage from Mark chapter six. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we just read and honor God's word this morning and then we'll jump in with what God has for us. Uh, But Mark six, beginning in verse 30, and I'll read it for us. This is what it says. The apostles returned from their mission and gathered around Jesus and told him everything that they had done and taught. There was such a swirl of activity around Jesus with so many people coming and going that they were able, uh, unable to even eat a meal. So Jesus said to his disciples, come, let's take a break and find a secluded place where you can rest a while. They slipped away and left by sailboat for a deserted spot. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. God, I just ask ask that you'd interrupt and uh, speak loud and clear into our often um, uh, loud world that we live in. Um, I I pray that you would just, uh, Lord, that your voice would cut through this morning. We wanna hear from you. And God, as a result of hearing from you, Lord, I pray that we would be different walking away from this place today. Lord, um, in your mighty name, amen and amen. All right, you can be seated. Thank you. So while, while I was um, the next gen rep for the Gateway District of Four Square Churches, um, it's a five, six state area of, of Four Square Churches, about 150 churches, I would get invited to participate and visit a bunch of our summer camps, which was part of my job to oversee. And so one of those camps was a PK camp or a pastor's kids camp um, hosted by Dee Rockwell. Dee is uh, Sam's wife. Sam's been here several times over the years. He was here on, on our installation Sunday a couple years ago. Um, it's, it sounds a little strange and even you know, kind of exclusive uh, versus inclusive, which is what it was. It was intended for this, this very specific audience, um, pastors, kids who deal with a, a pretty big weight that is put on them and a spotlight, you know, just because of the, you know, where they're positioned in life. And so I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but it's there and it's very real. And, and you know, we've sat around the campfire and I've been part of the PK camp now for many years and, and you know, um, told some really kind of raw stories that, you know, and, and just life stuff. And it's, it's been a really good thing uh, for that group to get together. D wanted to just give them a place, you know, that was all of their own. Uh, for conversation and support and a fun, you know, kind of shared experience. And so one of the first years that I went and I was invited um, to go to this, she took us up uh, to a camp on on one of the the tallest mountains in the Rockies. And I I had no idea what I was really getting into. Um, it It was rainy that weekend and I just started to, you know, sleep and get used to a CPAP that was new in my world at the time. Um, and so I had told her before going up, you know, I, I might have to sleep in my car. I'm not sure. And, and I actually did that weekend. It was cold and wet and rainy that first night. And I, I, I wasn't sleeping so great anymore without, I had kind of already been accustomed to that CPAP, you know, having that thing pump air into my nostrils. Um, and so I, kind of, I wimped out on sleeping in the tent and chose the comfort, if you can call it that, of my vehicle. And, and so the next day, um, you know, after that experience, we, we were told that we were, were going on a pretty strenuous hike. Now, I like hiking. My family, we grew up hiking up in here in the Black Hills, love the Black Hills. But what I didn't realize 
is how much different hiking above the tree line can be, <laughs> especially for someone who wasn't acclimated to that uh, altitude. So our group, we started off and, and we were pre feeling pretty great. I was feeling pretty good. Um, and, and we're laughing and joking with all the kids and, and the leaders and feeling pretty optimistic about the day. And, um, you know, I was with a pretty young group of kids, mostly upper high school, some, some young adults. And we were passing, you know, the, some of the, you know, slower hikers. So, you know, I'm feeling good. We're, we're leaping across the boulders. We're going across these snow-covered ledges. And I was just feeling pretty great <laughs> until <laughs> at one point on the hike, it seemed to come on pretty suddenly. I started to have a hard time catching my breath. And, and at, shortly after that, I, I even began to feel weak. My legs were feeling heavy, and I, I was even getting a bit nauseous. And, and so there was, I, I didn't say anything, but then there was a couple kids that started experiencing the same thing, too. They were, you know, from the lower elevation uh, states like Kansas and Missouri, that, are, that part of our district, that started to feel lightheaded, too. And so, you know, I did what, you know, any selfless, dedicated, caring leader would do, I volunteered to take him back down the mountain to the camp, right? And so now the way I was feeling probably had something to do with what kind of shape I was in at the time, to be honest. But, you know, it was also the thin air that my, that my body was just not used to. And so the same thing was true for some of the students that we had along from Kansas and Missouri, and they were feeling that too. And I mean, I just started to feel drained, like heavy, like it was having to pick up my legs almost. And, um, you know, that's, that's where I was. I, I just was, my body wasn't used to that. And so um, after a while, I just, you kind of felt like just laying down, just find a rock and, and lay down and take a nap and maybe saying a prayer as you lay down, Lord, help us out of the situation that we have put ourselves into, <laughs> you know, could you please help us find our way down? You know, and I'm not, I'm joking a little bit, I mean, but, but I, I, don't, I don't think we were in perilous danger, but we weren't too far from, you know, camp to get back. But man, we, there were some of us, including me, that were feeling really off. I mean, we were, we were off and um, feeling something terrible, if you want to use that word. So after I prayed, shortly after I prayed, I remember seeing a hiker coming up the path. And it's one of those guys, if you're, if you're a hiker, you've probably seen them, you know, who just looked like he was kind of, bounding like a deer, you know, kind of hopping, sprint, walking up the mountain like he was light as a feather. And, you know, he, you know, he wasn't breathing hard at all. And, you know, kind of effortly just kind of moving fast up the mountain. He, was, he wasn't winded at all. He was, he was really friendly. And he stopped. As he came up, he introduced himself. And he gave us a quick lick over. And he saw that we were struggling. And he said to us, guys, you're breathing all wrong. <laughs> like what? He said, "Yeah, you're, 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 that's your problem. You're breathing wrong." And you know, kind of the self-defense kind of rose up in me. He's like, "No, I think that's maybe one thing I've got handled. I've been breathing since I was little. <laughs> I can handle that part. You know, I've I've been doing that for a while." He's like, "Not up here. You haven't. You, you, the atmosphere is different when you get to thirteen thousand eight hundred feet <laughs> compared to where you come from." And so you have to adapt if you want to survive. And yeah, I'm pretty sure he used that word survive because I heard it loud and clear. <laughs> you know, and he began to teach us a new way to breathe. And what's interesting, as, as, 
as kind of offended almost as I was when he first mentioned it. As, as we did this exercise with him, our heads cleared and our strength began to return and we were able to get up and move our way down the mountain. Now, why do I tell you that? Because it's the same thing that is happening to us at a social level in our culture. Significant forces outside of us are influencing our health and our strength and our vitality. But when it's just in the air, you breathe it in the atmosphere, sometimes you don't even notice it. You don't even feel it. You don't even know that something's wrong until you get to the place where, oh my goodness, I, I, I can't go on anymore. You don't know exactly why. But the reality is, when it's just part of the atmosphere, you may not feel it, but it's affecting you. In society, that's happening in our culture today. There are, there are factors in our culture and realities about the social air that we breathe that are affecting you and influencing you and influencing the way that you see God and interact with him, influencing the way that you treat us and the way we even treat each other. And so the way you even see yourself is being influenced by forces that you can't even see. And so... It's interesting. I'm excited to jump into our Easter series after our birthday party um, next week, you know, leaning into some of the biggest uh, uh, decisions based on the reality of the cross. But before we turn our eyes uh, to see Jesus in a new way, you know, at Calvary, I, I first just felt like we need to stop and say, well, what are we looking at now? Because before we, we, we step and we try to linger in his presence, we need to ask ourselves, where am, am I lingering right now on this trip around the sun, on this particular day? We need to look at our atmosphere and our surroundings and, and, and maybe change some behaviors. And so I want to do that, to take a, a little bit closer look at our culture and at the air we breathe and how the atmosphere is affecting us right where we are. And so I want to talk to you for a minute today about your relationship with this, your phone, <laughs> the screens in our lives. And um, I wanna talk about technology and the screens that we spend so much time looking at, at least in our culture. Maybe not for you specifically, but this is the world that we, in, that we live in. And so now as soon as I say that, let me just say this. The conversation today is not a guilt trip, okay? Because I, I feel like whenever you talk to people about, you know, the way they use the internet or, or the way they look at screens, you can almost feel like this kind of shame wash over that someone's thinking, like, I already hate this, Pastor Sean. <laughs> um, and so, look, I, I just want to say I'm not judging you. I preach from a laptop up here every single week, all right? So let's just, you know, all acclimate to the fact that we live in the same world, right? And so, but the reality is there's been vast changes technologically over the last few years and expediently over the last decade that are radically impacting our culture and, and even in the church, the way we see God, ourselves, and others. And so what I want to do today is not to judge or, or make anybody feel guilty, but I want to give us information for the sake of, of an informed decision. So, okay, so that's what we're going to do. So let me just have a little bit of a side conversation before we jump into the scripture. And believe me, we'll jump into the scripture. But I, I want to kind of paint a picture before we get there, okay? The reality is there have, have been rapid changes just in the last 10 years that have affected the way our society works. And I know that you know this, and for many of us, we feel this. Um, you know, especially for those of us that have been maybe around a little bit longer, right? But, but every now and then, it's interesting to just pull the lens back and to see what's going on. And so, for instance, 
in the 90s, the, the internet was not widely available for the public. It's interesting to think about. Did you know that? You know, if you're, if you're 28 years old, the year that you were born, there were 600 websites total in the, in, in the universe. <laughs> and so, you know, for some of you here like today, I, I've, I've looked at 600 websites this morning. <laughs> so there wasn't a lot of browsing in the 90s. It took you like 20 to 30 minutes and you were done with all of it. <laughs> and, and, and yet things began to change and move rapidly. And so if you are 26 years old today, the year that you were born, laptops first came on the scene. And it was mind-blowing. And I mean, I, you know, I can carry my computer everywhere with me. You know, yes, it's 40 pounds, but technically <laughs> I can carry it with me, right? If you're 25 years old today, this, this crazy thing called email came on the scene 25 years ago. And, we're, uh, and, and so if you're in, the, in, the mid, if, if you're in your mid-30s, when you're in middle school or high school, you remember your teacher saying there's this thing called email where you can type a message, you can hit a button, and it'll go to the person in a different state. And you're like, you know, it goes to who? Like, where's the mailman? Where's, who, who gets it there? You know, it, it, it was confusing. If you're 24 years old, the Nintendo 64 came out when you were born for the gamers. <laughs> 1998, that's not that long ago for some of us in the room. Will Smith was getting jiggy with it just to kind of acclimate us. And also Google was invented in 1998. Think about that. So if, in you, if you're in here and you're 23, no one Googled before you, okay? Think about that. Like, like, like a few months before you were born, if someone asked you if, if, if you had Googled something, it would have sounded inappropriate. You're like, my family doesn't talk like that. We don't do that in our house, <laughs> right? You wouldn't even know what it was, right? Texting across networks wasn't possible until 1999. But then things began to change very, very, very rapidly. In 2004, Facebook was launched. YouTube came the next year, 2005. Twitter, the next year, 2006. Instagram came in 2010. Snapchat in 2011. The word selfie came around and was invented in 2013. And then the first iPhone, this thing, came out in 2007, just a little over 13 years ago. Now, isn't that amazing to think about, this, the smartphone that, you know, for, for so many of us has just become kind of like a way of life, right? That's, that's not that long ago. But, but with it came this whole idea of carrying the world connected in your pocket with you, wherever you went, uh, wherever you go. It's, that wasn't really happening before 13 years ago. And so in 2004, think about this, only 45% of teenagers owned a cell phone. Now that number is 95%. Think about that. Now, now most of us, we have a little freak out if we don't have our phone on us. You ever leave the house and you realize you don't have your phone? It's terrifying <laughs> for some of us. Like, oh no, I'm just out here all alone. How am I gonna get to where I need to go? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, <laughs> you know? And so, um, you know, it's, it, it's that, that feeling like you're, you're it's, for some of us, it's like, I, I didn't get dressed. I'm naked out here. But, but think about that. In, in, in the course of a lifetime of the youngest that are among us, you know, we journeyed from what is an internet to now 73% of us say we feel panic if we can't find our phone. That's a pretty massive shift in human history in a span of 13 years. 
And so I remember hearing a speaker say to one of our young adult groups, uh, one of the retreats that we're at, he was, he was kind of painting a picture to them because, you know, our, our young people, this is just the world they've lived in. And he said, so imagine having no social media to keep up with. Imagine a world where, you know, you, you, you don't have any online presence to manage. You have no Facebook to update. You have no Instagram you have to post an image on. And, you know, uh, imagine having none of that. And I was standing there in that room, and, and there were some in the audience the, of, of young adults, there were some of that were actually started cheering. There was a, that was a response. Like, I didn't expect that. Uh, but this is all they've known. But the thought of having a, a break from it led at least a few of them to applaud. You know, the, the, the reality is that's how most of humanity has lived always but not in the last 13 years. So the, the world's been shifting the biggest communication change that's happened in like the last 500 years. And so Dimitri Christaki is a pediatrician who studies media with children. And this is what he says. We're in the midst right now of a large uncontrolled experiment on this generation. Now, is this the part of the talk where I trash technology? You know, um, talking about how bad it is. And every time you look at your phone, you know, you're a bad person. And if you really love God, you know, you're going you're to move out to the, the plains and live on a ranch and churn your own butter and sew your own clothes. Is that what I'm about to do? No. <laughs> I think there is obvious upsides. I don't miss... but. You know, for example, I don't miss paper maps. Anybody remember, you know, when you went somewhere and you would have to unfold that thing? And it was the worst thing in the world to try to just get that thing back into the original configuration. It was like impossible, you know, so I don't miss that. And, and I, now I can just say, hey, Siri, and, you know, I can tell her to uh, take me home. I can tell her to, you know, take me to the hospital. I can tell her to take me pretty much anywhere. There was one time, what did I, what did I tell her? I can't remember what it was. Uh, I said, to, oh, there was something, I, I asked her to, to take me to, De, I think it was Deanna's home or something, and he said, who's Deanna? <laughs> or something like that. It was, it was a funny conversation anyways, you know. And, and so, you know, we, we, we could just talk to our phone and she'll give me turn-by-turn turn directions. You know, I don't have to pull anything out. She's just sitting on my dashboard, and, sh- and she'll tell me. She'll even show me the way. She'll, you know, and, and it, it, I don't miss, this is me personally, I don't miss, anybody remember Encyclopedia Britannica's, and you had to have, like, the whole library? And, you know, when, when you had to do a paper, like, you would have to go, and you'd have to pull that big book out. And You, you know, I can, I can access everything I need. I mean, I, I don't even need to have a laptop. I can do it on my phone. And so, you know, there's obvious upsides of, of, of this connection, our information and connection, information from all over the world. We can access, we can have access to data that we can have access immediately to, right? And we can find out about issues that are happening right now across the world immediately. It's incredible what that can do for our prayer life. I get texts from Foursquare Missions um, almost every other day praying for missionaries that are doing works all over the world. It's like it's a, it's a regular update, and I can, it, it's easy for me then to just take, it, take that moment and stop and pray. And so, you know, how about, you know, connectivity? It's amazing that I can sit in my living room and, and be connected with the missionary work of what my friends are doing, you know, over in Honduras. And that we can have Tiffany, who is, who is over there, or, or wherever she's at in Denver, uh, who's serving in Honduras, and she can lead a service for us right here 
in Rapid City because of that online world. So a connection at any moment, a whole world of information can be accessed. But then that's also part of the problem. And so I want to make this statement just a kind of a blanket statement over what we're, what we're saying today. Because this world of information can be tapped into at any moment, it is invaded every moment. Because the internet can be accessed everywhere, it's invaded our lives everywhere. So I read one study where 80% of teenagers say they check their social media, quote, constantly. 68% of this age group from 18 to the age 34 um, do not go one hour without checking their phone. And so 74% of that same age group, they, they check their phone in their bed. And so it's the last thing they do before they go to bed. That means their, their phone is the last thing they see before they go to sleep, which for many of them, it means it's the first thing they see when they wake up in the morning. So that's a pretty unique relationship, right? And, and so now I'm not against you having access to the World Wide Web at any moment. I am very concerned, though, about it always having access to you. And so, because even now, even this week, more and more information, and, and we've seen it, you've heard it, is coming out about how this is impacting us as a culture. And so one of the things is all this barrage of information has not made us more intelligent. That's one thing they've discovered. I read a study from researchers in Europe that the average IQ in the Western nations has dropped a staggering 14 points over the last century. That's a pretty amazing jump. Microsoft did a study on Canadians and they found that the average human attention span in 2000 was 12 seconds, but in one year later, 2013, it was eight seconds. They say our attention span right now is one second shorter than that of a goldfish. Satya Nadella, who was one of the lead researchers in that study, said this. He said, we are moving from a world where computing power was scarce to a place where it is almost limitless. But the true scarce commodity is human attention. Another thing to think about is this ever-present opportunity for connection is actually disconnecting from uh, many of us from the world around us. Am I right? Uh, you know, the, the average American spends just short of seven hours a day in front of a screen. That's average. Uh, some numbers um, will say it's a little bit higher, some will say it's a little bit lower, but it kind of averages right around seven. I remember the first time I read data like that and I was like, that can't be right. But then you, you, you start adding up your life, you know, the, the time you spend in front of your phone, maybe at your iPad um, or your, your screen that you have at your office and then at your TV at home. And it climbs to seven pretty fast for most of America. Gamers, you know, which is incidentally, if you're hearing all this and, and you have the tendency to say, well, kids these days. Well, the average gamer in America, just, just for clarity, 31 years old. <laughs> 31 years old. In fact, there are more gamers over the age of 35 than there are in the 18 to 35-year-old bracket. So did you know that? And, and so I'm not trashing video games, but I'm just saying if you're trying to pass this kind of technological revelation on the uh, yeah, revolution on the kids, you know, we, we just can't do it because this is all of us. I mean, we've all seen the grandma that's in the room with the grandkids that's like, you know, has all of her attention on candy crush. Like, I got to crush this candy, <laughs> right? And so you, you've, we've got to admit that it's had an impact. And so um, Jean Twenge, he's a professor of psychology at the San Diego State University, and she does all these extended studies on young people and the impact of technology. And she said that since the invention of the iPhone, Listen to this. In the year 2000 to 2015, the number of high school kids that hung out with their friends daily dropped 40%. That's, 
That's significant. That's a pretty huge drop. And what they're also finding in that age group in particular is this massive increase in depression and a lack in sleep. There's a direct correlation between the amount of time on social media and depression. CBS released a report a couple years ago saying that loneliness has reached epidemic proportions in the U.S. And among their findings, they say only half of Americans of any age, this is including all ages now, say they have, had a, have a meaningful in-person social interaction on a daily basis. Things such as having an extended conversation you know, with a friend or spending time with a family member. And so they define loneliness as this lack of social connectedness. And as they broke it down, among the generations, do you know who is by far the most lonely? It's the most connected generation, the millennials and Generation Z. The youngest among us are feeling the most disconnected socially. And isn't it interesting that the most connected online feel the least connected in real community? And so there's, there's a way that we're relating to each other that's not necessarily promoting human flourishing. And so I saw it as a youth pastor over the past you know, 20 years. I don't, I don't know that I really knew what it was you know, all the time when I was seeing it, but I, I could see something's happening to, to the generation that they're getting progressively more socially awkward. And, and I don't think it's just, you know, me being a grumpy old man. I, I, I love the next generation, but, you know, their God potential is revival size. Um, and, I, and I see that when I see them, but, but they're just having a harder time socially. And so you start to see now the, the social interactions because so much of our communication is, can be curated through text and emojis, right? That eye contact and conversation is now increasingly more difficult for the younger generations. And flakiness has kind of gone up. It's easier to break a date over text, right? Than that, that you don't have to do it uh, with somebody's face looking at you. So they ran a study on that uh, with high school kids. They had to break off a commitment with their grandma. And some of them were allowed to do it over text. And it's easy, right? Sorry, grandma, gotta bounce. Send. But then they had others, they called their grandma and they, they said, hey, grandma. And then they would hear the disappointment in grandma's voice. And then they would go, you know what? I'll be there. Let me move some things around. I'm, I, you know? and, and when you hear a voice, it humanizes that situation. So for the sake of grandma, we might need to change some things. So here's the thing. And we're going to dig into the scriptures, like I said, in just a second. But, but my concern is that all of this connection has actually disconnected us from one another that concerns me, but it also concerns me that it, it's disconnected us from ourselves. The, that there used to be moments when you're, you know, of silence when you're sitting at a stoplight or when you're walking by yourself or you're laying in bed at night and, you know, you're alone and there are only two people there, you and God, right? And, and it provided you chances to pray and to reflect and reflection is a seedbed of innovation. It's where we gain insight on ourselves and, and we can make adjustments, right? And it's, it's where God speaks to us. But now we've shot into those moments of silence, distraction. And so we've disconnected from ourselves even. We, we know ourselves less and it's disconnected us from God in ways that concerns me. And so it's interesting. Let's turn to the scriptures. In Mark, the, the gospel that we opened up with today Mark 4, Jesus was at the, the outset of his ministry. He's launching the kingdom of God here on planet Earth. And he told this parable about a farmer throwing seeds out into different kinds of soil. And it's familiar to, to many of us. So I'll, I'll give us the Cliff Notes version this morning. He told this story of, of all these seeds going out. And then he said, you know, he, he's saying some of these seeds were laying down on the road and the birds ate it. 
Some, some of the seeds ended up in shallow soil where the sun scorched it. Some grew as a plant, just a little bit, but then the weeds choked it up, okay? And some, they grew and flourished and they became a bumper crop. And so, and then how does he wrap it up at the beginning, you know, at the end of this conversation? When he tells the, the he, this is how he closes this, the, when he's telling this story. He says, if you, if you have ears, you should hear it. And then he walks off. And so the text tells us that his disciples came up later and they're like, Jesus, oh, that was powerful. The whole seeds thing, that was, that was deep. One question though, what? What are you talking about? What, what do you mean? And do you know that the next part of the scripture where he tells the meaning of the parable was actually just to his disciples? It says, to you, the secrets of the kingdom are being given. Isn't that interesting? And what's, it, what, what's interesting is the, the, the who there, the you, who's the one that gets the secrets? They weren't smarter. They, it's not like they understood it better than anybody else in the room. They, they weren't more spiritual. The you were the ones that when they were confused, they pressed in. They pressed in deeper. And so he told them the meaning of the parable. And so he unpacks it for them. He said, the sower is me. And I'm throwing out the very words of God, the words of life and the soils of the human soul. And some of these people are so hard that to the things of God that when the truth hits, it bounces off. Some of you, it hits you and it begins to take root, but then the scorching sun of persecution comes when it gets hard to associate with God, it comes up. You jettison the seed. And then there's a seed where it begins to grow. The truth of God sinks in and begins to change your life and makes you a fruitful person, but then weeds choke it. What are the weeds? This is what he says. And others are the ones sworn of, sown among the seeds. I mean, sorry, it's among the thorns. This is, this is where he's talking about, the weeds. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Now, isn't that crazy? What's gonna keep you from the word of God blessing and changing your life? What is it? What's gonna keep you from the very words of your maker revolutionizing your relationship? He doesn't say the weeds are the devil and he's gonna you know, light your house on fire. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He says, what's gonna keep you from growing your, your roots deeper is other things. In a moment when the word of God is right there in front of you and you have a decision to make, you will find something that is more interesting or something that you place a little bit higher value in, the greatest weapon in the hands of the enemy for most of us is not some dramatic sin, it's the subtle squeeze of the momentary desire for other things that will choke out the blessing of God in your life. It's that split second decision on the walk home. Do I pray in this moment? Or do I just look for something to amuse me, right? To distract me. And so why do, we, why do we do this? Why do, we, why do we, you know, pull out our phone and start, you know, doing this thing, start the scroll, right? I'll tell you, and I, and, I, and I won't belabor psychoanalyzing all of us this morning, but when you look at somebody who's an addict to a substance, it's very rarely about the substance. It's, you know, like if, if somebody's an alcoholic, it, there's an addict there, you know, it's not because beer tastes great. What happens when you get addicted to something is you begin to use that substance to avoid something else, to avoid pain, 
to fill an emptiness, to, uh, to, to, to numb a discomfort, right? And so you use it to stop a painful feeling or a feeling of discomfort. And for many of us, our relationship with our phone, it's not about getting information. I mean, I think you should use your phone to get information. It's, it's, it's not about connection, though, and I think you should use your phone to connect with people. I don't, I don't think social media is, is evil. Um, I, th- I think, you, I think we, for some of us, it's, it can be a healthy thing if you use it in the right way. I, I think that it can be really great, but the reality is for many of us, if we're honest, in a moment, we're not going for those two things. We're going to disrupt a discomfort. And so we do this, and we, we'll show up at a, at a social event early, which if I'm going somewhere, I like to, to show up early, but then there's an awkwardness, right? What if my friends haven't showed up, right? So then I have to be there all by myself while I'm waiting for my friends to show up, which I, I don't like that. <laughs> but if it happens, what's the default for so many of us? Slip out the phone, right? And, and, I, and I'll pull it out, and, and I, without even thinking, we pull it out and we're just kind of doing this, Right? We pull it out and we do this. And what are we doing? It's not like we're looking or searching for any information. It's, there's no data that I need to collect in that moment. There's no thing I forgot to do. I, I literally am comforting myself, right? So that I don't have to deal with the awkwardness of being in that moment. And, and so, you know, I, I'm dealing with, I, I don't have to make eye contact with anybody. I'll make some eye contact with my phone. And so if we aren't doing that, you know, we, sometimes we even assume, what is that guy doing over there just standing by himself with his hands in his pocket? Is he, not, he, doesn't, he didn't pull out his phone. That's a little, he's probably crazy. <laughs> and and we, don't, we don't trust that guy. That guy's scary. And so there's, that's a cultural default, for so many of us, when, what are we doing? We're, we're, we're going to this, not for information, not for connection, but we go, to, we go to it for comfort. And it's a little bit crazy, but we do that. Judd Apatow, he's the director uh, of movies. He's the producer of Anchorman and Talladega Nights and Trainwreck, Academy Award movies like that. I, I saw him in an interview, and he said, I have to constantly have something on. I have to constantly have a TV on or a screen on or whatever on. And the interviewer asked him why, and this is what he said. He said, because if I'm alone with myself for too long, I start to think about the vanity of it all. The fact that what I'm doing doesn't really have any significance or purpose, and it's too overwhelming, so I distract myself with a screen. When we do that, we are missing out on where the real action is, right? The life that's happening around us. That we have been distracted when really what we need is something deeper. So that we would, we need in our soul is what we need there is not more distraction. We need an intimacy with God. We need to go deeper, right? And, and so am I saying not to use your phone? No. Use, use your phone for goodness sake. I'm a fan of the smartphone and, and the screens and whatnot. My kids make fun of me for how many apps I use in one day. <laughs> um, but so, you know, use your phone. But, but I, I wanna challenge us to begin to take our life back in some aspects of that and to, to say, when it comes to my soul, what do I want to be true of me when I'm dead? When I, what I want to be said of me when this trip around the sun is done? I, is it that, what, do I want it to be said that I spent most of my life seven hours a day pursuing distraction? I don't think we want to. And so I think we need to begin to press in and say, God, how do we change this? And so let me say this, it's not by guilting yourself, not by shaming yourself, 
and not by just trying to knuckle down with some kind of self-discipline. Um, that really doesn't work. It's, it's interesting, the Puritans, who were not really known for being a freewheeling bunch, um, they ask this question often. How do you dislodge a thing from the human heart? How do, you, how do you take it out? And they didn't say, you know, you just discipline the thing right out. What they would say is you replace it with a more beautiful thing. Right? You replace it. That I find something more beautiful. So if I'm locked into always going on my, on my phone so I don't have to think about my life, maybe there's something else I can go to that will give me real soul restoration and not just distraction. And what I love is the Bible says about God is that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. What's gonna cause you to change in life is not the beating or the judgment of God. It's the fact that he loves you right now, right where you are, the phone addict that you are. <laughs> he loves you. <laughs> and so what do we do? So let's talk about a, 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 just a, a few things as we uh, can take what he has given us in the scripture and, and what we've yet to read. So number one is that we would embrace salvation instead of validation. And I'll unpack that a little bit. For many of us, we go to our, our phones to feel good. You know, how many people are following me? Um, how many people are watching me? How many people care about what I say? If I put a picture of me out in the world, how many people are gonna respond back and have anything to say about me, right? Um, and, and what are we looking for with that? We, we're looking for a sense of worth, right? We're looking for uh, someone to value me. And it's interesting, in the Old Testament, the book of Hosea, God calls one of his prophets, Hosea, to marry a woman named Gomer. But it turns out that Gomer is a dissatisfied lady, a restless lady, and so she runs. And so she wants to go and experience the world, but she didn't have a worldwide web to dive into to get experiences to, to give her the hit, so she went to the city. She wanted to go where the action is, and so she jumped in. Let's party, let's gamble, let's drink, let's sleep around, let's go crazy. And so she just dove hard into the city to try to fill up a vacancy in her. And God says to Hosea, this is a picture of what my people do to me. I want you to know what my pain feels like, that I've come to them as the fountain of pleasure. And they're running to search for soul satisfaction and many other broken things. And so let's read it together in Hosea chapter two, starting with verse five. This is what it says. It says, for their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. She's going for the mad experiences out there in the world, right? And so this is his response. He said, therefore, I will hedge her up. I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall of protection around her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. She found out what a lot of people do. Rush to the world to try to fill up your soul and it, and it can't do it. And so we, we can gain up all of the stuff of the world and the experiences and the riches, but they just don't satisfy. And so that's where she's at. She's there. And so what do you do when you get to that moment in your life where I've tried to fill up my life with everything that the world's handed to me, but I, I feel more lonely and isolated than ever, right? This is what God does. He doesn't condemn. He calls. And this is what he said. I, I absolutely love this. Behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her and there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Accor, which means trouble, the valley of her trouble, 
a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth and as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and you will no longer call me my Baal or my master. And he says, later, I will make it a lie down in safety. Isn't that beautiful? God says it's like this whole nation is searching for satisfaction elsewhere, out there, to numb the pain and to try to feel happy. But what they don't know is that it's in me. And so he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to be tender to you, kind to you, and I'm going to lure you in. And when you meet me, you realize that I'm not trying to be your master. I'm not trying to beat you or take from you. I'm trying to be your husband, the one who loves you and cares for your soul. Not just, I love all of you, everything, which is the most beautiful thing. It's exactly what happened when Jesus showed up on the scene and the religious leaders would say, how come your disciples aren't fasting and starving themselves in the name of God? And you know what he said? He said, how can they starve themselves because the bridegroom's here, the husband's right here. I'm right here. Jesus looks at himself and he says, I'm the husband and you don't starve yourself when, you're, when the wedding's on board. You get confetti and you throw a party. <laughs> so the husband's here and I'm here to love your soul. But what's beautiful about it is, do you know what God does when he's wooing his people back? He said he had called them into the wilderness. Now, why the wilderness? We, we did a whole series this last year, you know, about being in a wilderness season. Why the desolate place? <laughs> because there's not a lot of people out there, right? There's not a lot of distraction. And so God will seemingly pull his people away from distraction in order to bring them to a place of salvation, to bring them to a place of rescue, to bring them to a place where, you know, let me give you what your soul really needs. Let me give you the validation that you're seeking after, but you're not finding on your phone. Let me take you to a place where you're not distracted. And if you look biblically, God tends to do that. In Genesis, he's calling Abraham. Abraham, I want you to follow me. Where, God? Into the wilderness, Jacob, you're going to be my man. You're going to bless the nations. Where are we headed? The wilderness, right? Moses, I want to lead your people. Where? The wilderness. David, Hosea, even Jesus. They go out there. Why? Because it's a distraction-free environment. Because speed is the enemy of depth, right? Does that mean you can't go fast sometimes? No. And there are actually moments where Jesus ministered, it says, all night long, and he didn't sleep. And it says that his disciples didn't even have a chance to eat. You know, so Jesus knew what it meant to push hard and work hard and to make some moves. He did that. And yet, he always found time to steal away into the wilderness places to restore his soul. And some of us, man, we've been looking to all different kinds of people, or maybe the cheers of the crowd to make us feel good about us. And for you, what, what, what we need more than anything else is not the smile or the like of some person on your phone. You need to know that heaven smiles on you. You need to know that your maker loves you. 
You need to come to the place where maybe even for the first time you know that God is coming for you and he cherishes you. He's coming out to be your rescue. Jesus loves you. He, he beat back your shame and your guilt and your sin and death to come and get you. And some of you need to embrace not validation through a screen. It's not found there, but salvation from a God who came to rescue you, right? Okay. And then for those of us, this is the second thing I want us to write down. For those of us who know him, we pursue restoration instead of distraction. So for some of us, it's when life feels painful that we have this tendency to just distract ourselves. I do this, I've noticed. Uh, begin to be a student of yourself. And, um, you know, I'll be studying something or, or working on something or run into a, a problem that's, that's hard and, uh, you know, something that <laughs> I don't want to deal with at the moment. And I'll find myself going, you know, I, I don't know what to do with this. I'll find myself kind of pulling this out, just kind of, I'll go to a game <laughs> or I'll go to Facebook and I'll see how many notifications are there and I'll just check. And I, I found myself doing that. And so why do we do it? It's, it's to distract me from... The discomfort of the moment I, I, is what I gather. It's the weirdest thing. It's, it's, like, it's kind of like the Lord of the Rings. Yes, the ring shall go to Frodo. And what happens? It, it goes to, into his pocket and all of a sudden you're pulling it out and you don't even realize it. This is like my precious. And so there are moments where I feel the pain of I don't know the right answer and the pain of I don't know how to solve this. And so to get away from the discomfort, I go to distraction. I've actually found myself doing that probably too often. And so I, I want to challenge us in a moment like that to begin to make the decision to go for restoration and not distraction. When you're in a moment and you feel stressed about life, maybe before you pull out the phone, begin to pray. Jesus, Jesus did it all through his ministry. You'll see it in Mark chapter one. After a full night of ministry, it says early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, he went to a secluded place and he was praying there, Right? Goes out to the secluded place. Luke chapter 15, when news about him was spreading far and wide, large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus himself, it says, he would often slip away, slip away to the wilderness and to pray. You say, well, Sean, I would do that, but I'm too busy. So the question <laughs> we want to ask this morning, are you busier than Jesus Christ? Because he, he changed all of human history. You know, he, just think about that. It's, it's, it's a place of priority that we place in our lives, right? To get away to those wilderness places. Psalm chapter one is talking about the blessed man. And we're, this is a familiar passage for many of us. It says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. You want to prosper? Do you want to win even when life is hard? Do you see the answer that you've been given there? Meditate means that something, you know, something goes over and over in your mind. What naturally rolls around in your mind. What naturally rolls around in your mind when you're commuting? You know, when you're going places, what naturally rolls around? The one, the one who is blessed by God, it says, it's, it's, it's the words of God. That's what shapes me and that's what makes me what I am. And so we've just spent two months 
you know, asking God to help us to number our days so, so we can gain a heart of wisdom. And the first chapter of the book of Proverbs says it was written by the wisest man on earth, King, King Solomon, to make the simple wise, right? So, you know, hey, for some of us who are simple, he, God put a whole book in the Bible in there for me, <laughs> right? Blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. There's, there's treasure there for you. So pick your moments. Maybe for you, it's in the car and you're just in your car with a half a song in your head anyways and you've got this melody and you're, you're blah, blah. You know, you're singing. And what, am I, what are you even doing? You, you don't even know. I had a kid in our youth group that after we, we did the series on getting the word of God into our hearts, he, he decided that he was gonna take the Bible app and turn on the, the Audible cues from the YouVersion Bible app when he was driving to high school, um, the last year of his high school. And so he got the whole Bible in his mind in one year, just on his drive to school, on his way, on his way to somewhere, right? And so some of us have said, I follow Jesus for years and years, and we've never read through the whole Bible. Maybe redeem your car moment just for that. Maybe for you, it's when you're out and you're getting your steps in. You know, we got to get our 10,000 steps. Some of us do that, right? So maybe you pick a block, you know, you're a, a series of blocks, you know, from 10th to, to 20th. And, uh, and, and you're, you're turning the headphones off, you know, and I'm pulling them out and I'm just going to pray. And so do a prayer walk in your neighborhood because it'll change you and it'll change your neighborhood. And that I'm going to pray for the people who walk by me. I'm going to use the time wisely and ask God to give me his heart of wisdom to establish the work of my hands. I heard about a church staff that takes one day a month and they call it their day with the Lord and they just steal away somewhere. They unplug and they sit and they pray. And I love that. We might have to start that. It's amazing what God will bring to mind when you give him the space, right? When I come to him, he restores my soul. That's what God does. So when I prioritize communion with him, he refreshes me. So not only that, I'd say prioritize communion with people too. Not just connection, but communion with people. We talked about what it means to commune this morning. Go somewhere with a buddy and steal away with God for a while. Put your phones away. And do you know what? The weirdest thing will happen. I don't know if you've ever experienced this where you're talking to somebody and after a while you run out of things to talk about. Has that ever happened? Right? What usually happens at that moment? We instinctually <laughs> will pull out our phone and we'll start scrolling. And so just decide not to do that. Put your phone away, turn it off. Um, and you know the weirdest thing will happen as a result. Um, you'll talk about work and you'll talk about life and maybe talk about the weather, uh, weather and, and that conversation you know, stops and then all of a sudden there might be a moment of silence and then you come up you know, with a question. So you know, how are your kids doing? And so that conversation then has meaning and it might spark into something else. Like, so how did you make that decision to adopt your little girl? You know, that seems like a really big deal. That seems like the heartbeat of God right there. So tell me about it. Hmm, I never thought about that before. And all of a sudden hanging out in that awkwardness for just a moment and not hitting the eject button right away leads us to deeper intimacy, right? And I wanna challenge you to number one, so connect with God in those private moments, number two, to get soul restoration, not just distraction, and then find moments with people who love God, not just for little connections, but for communion. And, and so I heard about a young adults group when they went out, they said, we, we stack our phones when we go to dinner now. It's just become a thing. We, we noticed this about our lives. So when we go out, we'll stack our phones in the middle of the table. And the first person who touches their phone has to buy everybody else's dinner. 
And so um, it's funny because when they first started doing that, um, you know, they would see people going through withdrawal. And then because, you know, that moment hits where you run out of things to talk about and they're like, no, no, I can't afford it. (laughs) And but then, you know, how are you doing? I'm actually interested in the things that you have to say. And deeper communion forms. And then we start to wade into the deeper waters of what's really going on in our hearts and what's really going on in our lives. And I've talked to so many people, and you probably have too, who would say, well, I know a lot of people, but I don't feel very well known. So I'm trying to help us find that this morning, to say, let me find a few people and just say, hey, can we go out and have dinner and maybe just put our phones away? And let them, you know, freak out a little bit if that needs to happen. But then maybe we'll have some conversations that change our lives. Maybe we start praying together as, you know, roommates or as a couple in ways that are consistent with ways that we've always wanted to. But for some reason, we never felt like we had the time to go there. The last thing I want us to write down this morning and we'll close is I would say to surrender to consecration. Surrender to consecration. What do I mean by that? Jesus came into the house of Mary and Martha. And Jesus Christ walked into their living room. And Martha was running around trying to get the house ready. Now think about that. For Jesus. And Jesus was there. Mary just sat at his feet. Martha got mad and she said, Mary, you, gotta, you, gotta, you should be cleaning up. You should be helping. Jesus, you know what he said? He said, Martha, you're anxious about a lot of things. But there's only one necessary thing and Mary chose it. And it won't be taken away from her. For us, I would challenge us to surrender. The Lord might be trying to speak some things. And you've just not been giving him the space. And so pause. Because he might have some things that he wants to say to you about the course of your life. About this trip around the sun, right? And we can be busy, we can be anxious and troubled about many things. But he says, only one thing is necessary, being still with me. And it's in that stillness that he has a word for you. So for us, as we were up on top of that mountain, (laughs) I hit a moment where my resources were gone. They were depleted. I didn't feel, feel like I could go much further. But as we sat there on that rock and this guy that we barely met began to talk to us, we found out how God protects even the ignorant like us. (laughs) And he helped us to just slow down and breathe. And as we slowed down, and as how we, we, we learned how to just breathe up on that mountain, Our energy was restored. Our vibrancy was restored. And he led us to this beautiful clearing. We were way, way, you know, thousands of feet in the air where we just looked down at the clouds. 
because we're that high. Maybe a pause is exactly what you need to get further. Maybe a rest is what you need to journey longer. And maybe the Lord is challenging even now to say, yeah, we're, you know, I'm going to be online. I'm going to be on my phone. I'm going to be connected. I'm going to watch TV. You're, but consecrate some moments to me. I just might be consecrating you for my purposes. Don't be so Martha that you miss Jesus standing in your living room with a word for you. That you miss the word of God, which will shape you, inform you. Don't miss what God might want to do with you right now. As he says, he who has ears or she who has ears, let them hear. So Father God, thank you for your word to us this morning. God, we, we want your word to shape us and to form us. So God, give us ears to hear. And God, I pray that, Lord, even in the, the loud culture that we live in, Lord, we, your people, would have the wisdom to give space, to go and find those places and even those places where some people would avoid the, the wilderness places, Lord, that we, where we can be still and we can be quiet and we can listen and hear your voice. It's so important to us, Father, that we hear your voice. Help us to count our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, Lord. Give us favor and establish the work of our hands. God, help us to lean into your voice more than we lean into the screens that we have in our pockets and that we have in our living rooms in the evenings and in our jobs. Lord, speak to us. We just surrender our lives. Here I am. My crowns are laying down, all that I am. Lord, we want to hear from you more than those voices of the world. I thank you for it. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Pastor Derek. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Pastor Sean. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, I want to talk to you guys for a few minutes. Uh, and I know we're pretty over time, but if you would humor me, I think, uh, I think it'll be worth it. Um, two things I want, to, I want to talk about. First one, just really quickly, along the lines of what Pastor Sean was talking about with technology and depression and, and the growth of all of this. You know, we weren't designed to deal with the problems of the world. We were designed to deal with the problems of our home and our neighborhood and the people that live, the people that are in our circle, right? But what the information age has done is it's given us complete access to the problems of the world 24-7 in real time. And so what a lot of us do is we get engrossed in what's happening on the other side of the world and we were never designed to deal with all of that stress. Pray for it, absolutely. Uh, 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 contend for God's will to be done across the earth? Absolutely. But not own the problems outside of our immediate living area. Okay, Being aware, but not taking it on.
okay? So we need to make sure that we're building healthy boundaries between us and uh, the news and the information and all of the things happening all of the time, okay? So then, you know, Pastor Sean was talking about when he was in the mountain and the guy uh, taught them how to breathe. And it reminded me of when I had to learn to walk again. And so I want to share this story with you guys. And it's got a point, but it's a little bit on the long side. It's going to take me a couple of minutes to get through it. So just hang in there. Uh, 2013, um, starting in January, um, I, uh, a herniated disc that I had previously been dealing with was inflamed again. And, and uh, I had leg pain all that year. And I didn't have insurance and it wasn't emergency. So we just kind of dealt with it. And I was like, well, maybe it'll go away. We got through camps and we went on our family vacation uh, at the beginning of August. And I remember it was Sunday, August 11th, like the day after we had gotten home from our vacation. Um, I was walking right here and uh, a child was running through the sanctuary and ran into me and knocked me to the ground. And the next morning when I got up, we, as a family, we were going fishing. And when we were, when we were walking from the truck to the lake, uh, my leg gave out on me, like the nerve quit and it was just as if it wasn't there and I hit the ground. And uh, from that day on, um, I wasn't able to work my, this movement. I wasn't able to, to control because my nerve was actually damaged to the point that it wasn't sending signals anymore. So um, by September 23rd, uh, they, got, they got me into uh, surgery. It was kind of an emergency deal. Um, <laughs> they were like, yeah, we'll get you in in a couple of weeks. And then they called me like later that day and said, can you do Monday? And I was like, yes, make it stop. So I woke up from surgery and the pain was gone and it was amazing. And uh, that was Monday. That Friday, Rick Pino was doing a concert here at Destiny. And uh, there were two people that could run the sound system. We had just built this sound system and there were only two people that knew how to run it. One of them was out of town and the other one was me. So I told my wife, uh, don't give me any pain meds. Don't give me the dose of pain meds before the concert. I need to have my head together. I need to be able to talk. I need to be able to think. I need to be able to do the things that I do uh, when I'm doing sound for a concert. So we did and we got everything going and, and partway through the concert, uh, my legs started to hurt. And, and I was on a lot of pain medications before this and even more after this. So my memory of it is, it's a little bit hazy, but I remember uh, having Nathan Allier get me a stool to put my foot on and some guys grabbing me some chairs so I could sit down because it was just excruciating. As soon as the concert was over and I hit play on the background music, I went in and, and fell asleep on the youth room couch. And I, I remember Pam getting me into the car and I don't remember much after that because I was in so much pain and so much medication. and. Uh, when Pam called the, the hospital, the on-call nurse said, ah, he probably just overdid it. So Monday, my leg was swollen really, really big. And uh, they were like, oh, that's a blood clot. And sure enough, my, my right leg is just destroyed on the inside. It's really, really ugly uh, because I had a very large blood clot. And uh, so they put me on more pain medication follow that up. Uh, uh, the next weekend was October 3rd through 5th. You guys remember the storm Atlas. I remember hallucinations. I was on all these medications and I'd been hallucinating. I'd been seeing like plants in the shadows, like, like trees growing out of the shadows. It was awesome. Uh, and I remember my wife coming in to the, to the bedroom and saying, it's snowing and there's lightning. And I was like, <laughs> sure. And then I went back to sleep. So I woke up when it was over. 
And my first day really awake was the Monday after the storm. And I remember getting up and kind of, I, I, I couldn't stand up because anytime I was vertical, anytime my heart was higher than my leg, it was just excruciating. So I had to spend a lot of time sitting. But um, later on that week, you know, I was supposed to be getting up and walking. And, you know, there's a picture of uh, my walker. I had a walker because uh, I couldn't stay up. Uh, but Pam taped a, a shovel a snow shovel to my walker. There's a picture of it online. It made me cry at the time, but I was meds, piles of them. So I remember though, um, when I started learning to walk again, because I had to relearn. My, my nerve was shot, it was broken, it had to be, all of that information had to be reset. And I remember I had these new shoes, they were like New Balance, and I remember standing in them, and I remember going outside to the driveway, and the snow was still like this high. The street was dry at this point, because it had been warm enough to, to dry the streets where it had been plowed and shoveled, but the snow on the sidewalk was still like this. And uh, I remember getting, you know, my walker, and I remember, I remember taking this step, and then I remember my foot flopping because I didn't have control. And I remember taking step after step and going up a block up the middle of the street. The sidewalks weren't clear, so I'm up in the middle of the street with my walker. You know, I was like 33 or something. And uh, I had to learn how to walk again. And it took a couple of years for me to get to the point where I could go a whole day without my foot falling out from under you, without, without the, uh, the weakness coming. It took a very, very long time. When I got to physical therapy, my physical therapist uh, said, okay, I want you to walk for me. And so I walked and I moved and she looked at how I moved and she said, okay, you have two very big problems. You don't have uh, glute muscles. They were never developed. You don't have them, so you don't have their support. She said, you also don't have core muscles. They were never developed and you don't have support. I was about 50 pounds heavier then than I am now and I had to learn how to walk and muscles that had never been strengthened inside of me had to be strengthened. And it took a long, long time. Why do I share this with you today? God is all powerful and he can do anything. He can fix a life, he can change your world in an instant. But by and large, he does it day by day and step by step with the renewal of your mind, with the changing of your life day by day, with new grace every morning. A few months after I had started to learn how to walk and I had been using my new shoes, I stepped into an old pair. I don't remember why I needed to wear them, but as I started walking, I started to hurt a lot. And I realized it's because before I learned how to walk again, I would walk with my toes up and out. So the outside of my shoe would wear out first. And so my new body, with my new way of walking and my new way of holding myself, it was incompatible with my past. because there was day by day, renewing and regeneration and rebuilding. And that's what Jesus offers us. Sometimes he does things instantly and it's done and it's wonderful and it's great. And we contend for that, we pray for that, we believe for that. But we also get up every day and say, Jesus, make me more like you. And we step into what he has for us. If you're online this morning and you're, and you're listening or if you're in-house and you, uh, you're like, man, I, that sounds great, but I don't really have a relationship with Jesus. This doesn't really apply to me. 
you have a relationship with Jesus, you just don't know it yet, all right? Uh, God is so powerful, and Holy Spirit and Jesus have this plan for you that they've been working on since before you were born. It's not a mistake. It's not something that is like just now happening. It's just now that you're maybe getting to the point where you're recognizing what God's doing for you and doing in you. So here in a minute, I would like to give you a, a prayer, some words to kind of help you um, bring your mind into alignment with where your spirit is and with where, where God's taking you. Um, but for, for everyone else, you know, maybe you're in a place where, man, you know, after, after listening to what Pastor Sean shared, you're like, I don't think Jesus is really the Lord of my life anymore. I think, I think technology is. I think distraction is. I think information is taking up more of my time and more of my attention and more of my devotion than Jesus. And if you find yourself there today, there's no shame. No shame. But there is better. And Jesus has better for us. To not be slaves to the things of the world, but to be slaves to Christ. And the perspective on being a slave to Christ is you're actually a brother, a sister. So if you're in either of those two groups, I'd ask you to just pray after me as we, as we just kind of come together as a family and have this intimate moment with Jesus. Repeat after me. Jesus, Jesus you, are my source, you are my source. Not technology. Not, technology. not, information, not information. Those are distractions. Those are distractions. Jesus, you are my source. Jesus, you are my source. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. For caring for me. For caring for me. For guiding me. For guiding me. For dying for me. For dying for me. And for bringing me to life with you. Jesus, help me to follow you. Jesus, help me to follow you. Every day. Every day. Thank you. Thank you. For never giving up on me. Never giving up on me. In your name we pray. In your name we pray. Amen.